If you have your Bibles, would you go to the book of Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4 this morning. Feels good to be back in the pulpit. It's been a few weeks, and doing the marriage series, I feel like I'm in marriage conference uh, mode. It's, it's, conference Dave is different from Preacher Dave, so I miss preaching, preaching, and we uh, started a series last week called Questions Jesus Asked. We are returning to a series that we did last summer, and we had so much fun just identifying the questions that Jesus asks. There's like some 300 plus questions. And so we wanted to return this summer back to these questions, back to the Gospels, and just dive into what God has in store. Thank you for your patience uh, as we just talk through transitions and walk through transitions. I am, I'm just so stoked about uh, Pastor Olivia. Uh, we got her all moved in. Um, some of you may not know that we own three of the four houses right off the property, and she's in our, one of our duplexes over there. And uh, so excited to get her settled, get her in. And uh, yeah, for anybody that wants to bless with groceries, grocery cards, things like that, uh, she's moved to a new area. She's unfamiliar with Kalamazoo. Uh, she's getting familiar with Kalamazoo, but we'd love to just, uh, just kind of baptize her in love uh, here at the church. Would you uh, stand with me for the reading of the word? Up, down, up, down, up, down. I know. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when the evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took with them, he took with them in the boat just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep in the, on the cushion, and they awoke and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea, saying, Peace be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, and here's our question, well, questions this morning. Jesus said, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Look at those questions. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus, one more time, we just lean into you, asking that you would speak deeply within our hearts, that you would just soften, uh, that you would cultivate that which is deep within us so that the seed of your word would fall upon the ground and produce much, much, much fruit. It is our desire to meet with you, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, God, that we would, that we would exuberate the, the power of the presence of Jesus everywhere we go, Lord. So we just speak your presence over one and all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, give someone an awkward high five before you're seated. We just got back from the Upper Peninsula. We were celebrating my parents' 50th anniversary, which is technically next month, but how many of you know when you coordinate different people, families together, you just got to celebrate when you could celebrate, and uh, uh, we just got together with my side of the family, just, uh, I don't know, it's a, it was honor walking my parents through renewing of their vows and just having a blast uh, up by the bridge and going into the UP, doing some rock climbing, love the Upper Peninsula. And uh, one more time, this, it seems like quite often these, these conversations lead back toward reminiscing when you're with family. And one more time, I heard from my sister, because somehow football, high school football came up. And one more time, my sister says, yeah, you really stink at high school football. Isn't it awesome having siblings? Isn't that amazing? And then we, all of a sudden, it stirred up a conversation. We were getting ready to play um, phase 10. 
that, that anointed card game, unless I lose, then it's not so anointed. Um, love me some phase 10. But we're, we started a conversation about football and, and about high school football because my high school football coach just got uh, something which was named after him. He's just a legend in the state of Michigan. And I told my parents a story that I didn't realize I had never told them about Coach By. You see, going into my varsity years, so this would have been, what, spring of 91, I was sophomore, getting ready to go into my junior year, the, the football coaches took all of us through agility stuff, speed stuff, uh, measured our height, weight, um, had us maxed out with bench and squat, and had us do all sorts of things so they could rank us one through, I think that year we had like 72 players. And so they rank everybody, and I think I came in at like 51. So, um, not too great. But I, nevertheless, I'm like, man, I got like 14 people I'm better, that, better at that. That's how I could think of in my head. And, but that was me going into my sophomore year. Now, granted, now we had like 24 players from our team go into college football to go to pro football. We had a good team. And then after my junior year, uh, I really, I played a total of 30 seconds that whole season. The last 30 seconds of the last game. Awesome. And uh, so we went through all of that stuff again in my, end of my junior year as I'm going toward my senior season. And I was waiting for the list to go up because we had 65 players that year. I remember 65. And he was going to put the list up. And Coach By called me in his office. And already I'm nervous because the coach never calls me into his office, and he called me in, and he just said, he goes, I want to talk with you, and I said, what do you want to talk with me about, coach? What did I do? He said, you didn't do anything, and he says, I want you to see the list, and so he gave me the list, and so I'm going to the 60s and the 50s, I'm like, where am I ranked in athleticism? I'm going, 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 and all of a sudden, I realized I was number eight, and I looked at him, I'm like, that's not possible, and he says, that's the problem. I said, what are you talking about? He looked at me and he said this, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dave, you don't have an athletic, athleticism problem, you have a confidence problem. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He says, in practice, you know how to show up, but when the lights are on and the pressure's on, you back away and you don't play. And I remember thinking it was, it just kind of blew my mind, but he was right. I remember, I remember I was, at one point, I was the fourth string running back, which meant I was safe. And when we played Chippewa Valley, I don't know how you feel when you're nervous about playing and the first string goes down, and then all of a sudden the second string goes down, and you're like, surely we're not going to lose the third guy. The third guy goes down, and the coach yells, Behringer. And immediately, there was this big offensive lineman, and I just went like this. No joke, it was like gut reaction, and all of a sudden I'm like, he knows what he's talking about. Because I think that's where a lot of us can be, because some of us think that Sunday morning service, that's game day. Can I tell you what? That's not game day. Anybody can show up at practice. Anybody can worship Jesus when, the, when we've got the worship team leading us, worthy is the Lamb. Anybody can serve Jesus in these moments, but game day is when we walk out of those doors and we go into the world and we're there to be light in the midst of a dark place. That's game day. And I wonder if we've got a problem in the church, not happening necessarily within the, the four walls of the church, but what happens is, is we're walking out and we have lost our confidence. We get confidence here, but we're, not, we're walking out into the light 
confidence, and we don't have confidence out there. We have fear ruling our lives. I mean, listen, I remember the days of showing up for practice. I mean, I could tell you the things I could do in practice, but coach is right. Dave, you don't have talent problem. You've got a confidence problem. Church, we don't have a power problem. The power is within us. The same spirit that, ra that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us as believers. We don't have a power problem. I think we have a confidence problem, and that's what brings us to the book of Mark chapter 4. It's because we've got these individuals who have been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, watching Jesus perform miracles, and all of a sudden something happens that shakes them, and they're looking at Jesus saying, don't you care about us? Aren't you going to do something about this? We need confident believers. And so we get this beautiful passage that you can also read about in uh, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, and now here Mark chapter 4. And I've, as I've taught you for years, that when you've got something repeated in Scripture, it's there for emphasis. Pay attention. So we've got a, so a, a story that is shared three different times around this amazing place called the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, also known as um, the Sea of Tiberias, the Lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Lake Kinnerek. Um, it's a fascinating lake when you really look at it. And one of the most fascinating things is this is the lowest level of body of water in the entire world below sea level other than the Dead Sea. And the way it sits so far below sea level, you've got these warm winds coming from the desert, coming from the Mediterranean Sea. You've got these cold winds coming from the snow caps uh, from the north. And when all of a sudden it comes down, they've got the, the cold coming in, the hot coming in, and they hit and they begin to swirl. And when they come together, they can create almost tornado-esque experiences on this small lake that is only 13 by 7 miles. 13 feet by 7 miles. Now, growing up around the Great Lakes, not, we're all looking at we're like, okay, that's like a pond. I spent the last week, Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, Lake Superior. This sea seems like it's nothing. And I've been there. It's such a beautiful spot. It's a quiet spot. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is what we call the cradle of Christianity because 75% of the gospel takes place not in Jerusalem, but around the Sea of Galilee. And it's this sea that sets up the story here in the Gospels. This is what sets up the situation. It says, on that day, verse 35, on what day? It's that day. It's the day that he was just working with people, talking with people. He is speaking on parables. He's talking about the parable of the sower, the parable of the basket, the parable of the mustard seed. He is speaking in such a way that the crowds are building up so he gets inside a boat so that he can speak to the crowds and have this natural amphitheater. Uh, some of the places around the lake, they've got these natural hills that are there so that people can sit. So one can stand and their voice projects. And so Jesus is preaching, and it says this in verse 35, when evening came, when evening came, he got into the boat and decided to head off. He needed some alone time. Have you ever spent time with family and then you need alone time? My past week, needed some alone time. And he's exhausted. And any of you that, that have ever volunteered and worked ministry, when you are giving of yourself, it's more than physical fatigue, there's spiritual fatigue. That's why preachers sleep best on Sunday afternoon. It's the filet mignon of naps. It's the best time of naps. And it says, verse 36, that, that the storm had appeared. And it says, Luke 8, 23 says this, that they were being filled with water. This water was creeping up, 
and beginning to get to the sides of the boat and begin to push over within the boat. And the question is, where's Jesus in all of this? It says this, he was in the stern. For you land lovers, that's the back of the boat. He is sleeping on a cushion in the back of the boat. And then, then it says that this great storm comes up and they all of a sudden just got seized with fear and they begin to cry out, Jesus, don't you care at what took place? Now this is what's very particular is that a word that gets repeated throughout this passage. And that word that we've got here is the word great. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. Go to the next slide. And then verse uh, 39. And there was a great calm. So we get a great storm, then a great calm. Then when Jesus calms everything, they say in verse 41, they were filled with great fear. That word great in the original language is the same word we get the word mega. It's really the word megan, or we just call mega. Ever go to a mega mart? Mega means big. I guess someone, no, I've never been to a mega mart. It means big or huge. And so immediately we get these three words that prop up that there was a great storm, there's a great calm, and there is a great fear. So that's something, again, when it's repeated, we take note. In fact, it's circled in my Bible three different times. I, you always want to find repeated words. But even within all of this, we've got amazing details. Like the details, it tells us that this all took place in the evening. Tells us he was leaving the crowd. Tells us that he left just as he was. He was wiped out. Tells us there were other boats with him. Tells us he was in the back of the boat. Tells us that he was laying on a cushion. And you're like, well, what are the significance of all these details? I don't really know other than, that, than to tell you this. These details are not significant because of each individual issue. They are details because this is a real moment. See, if this was a made-up fable, it's, this is really a very quick, a very quick story to tell. Jesus got into a boat, storm showed up, and he calmed it. We got everything solved in like two or three sentences. But the reason why we've got these details, what I love about the details of Scripture, is this is an eyewitness moment. The words of Mark are really the words of Peter. Peter is telling the story. Mark is writing it. And he's given us these details because it really helps us to understand that this is a real story about a real Jesus who has real power over real storms. That's what it's pushing. And I love that it starts off with Jesus in verse 35. He says this, let us go over to the other side. It's such a great, great, great thing to notice. And if you've never underlined your Bible, that's a great word to underline because Jesus gave them a word before their journey that says, we're going to go over to the other side. Why is that important to understand? It's because whatever Jesus tells you at the beginning of a season, you need to hold on to it. Because when Jesus speaks something at the beginning of a season, you've got to know the enemy is going to come in the middle of the season to try to sidetrack you, to try to push you away, to try to distract you, or even to try to drown you in the middle of it. And I'm here to say that when Jesus calls you over, that means you're not going to go under. We've got to hold on to the mindset that when Jesus speaks something, that we can trust his voice, we can trust his power, that if he gave us the promise, we can keep holding on to that promise, even when things don't go the way we thought they would go. Even when our health doesn't go the way we thought we would go, or the job didn't go the way we thought we would go. If Jesus gave us a word to go, it's going to go. And then it tells us in verse 37, that this great storm, Mark and Luke in the Greek language use this word, it's a word we get tempest or tornado from. 
In fact, Matthew, in his account, uses the word seismic, which we get the word seismic. So it adds to the severity of the storm. So you take all three of the gospel writers, you get this tornado-esque swirling winds from the north, from the west, that are coming in and they're swirling. And you get this idea, even there's this seismic event shaking that's taking place. We have got a massive storm. And so when Jesus rebukes the storm and says, peace be still, this is so cool. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus uses language that he used for the storm to a demoniac in Mark chapter 1. So when he tells the demoniac to be still, he told the same thing to the storm. So it makes you almost think that this was not just a natural event, but there could be supernatural overtones that take place. And where is Jesus in all of this? He's taking a Sunday afternoon nap. And his disciples look at him and say, don't you care? In other words, hey, heads up, we're going to die. You need to be awake to see this. And what we love about this story is all of us can relate to this moment. How can we relate? Jesus, this is happening. And the things that are happening to us, we did not expect so the question is, where is God in all of this? Have you ever asked that of God, where are you in this? Have you ever gone through something and said, God, where are you in this? Where have you been? Why aren't you here? Because I think it's fascinating. Is they're asking Jesus, don't you even care? Do you know what they're really asking is, why don't you love us? Because when we see that God doesn't care in a moment, we equate that to God doesn't love us. Because God, if you love me, the boat wouldn't be flooding right now. God, if you love me, my spouse wouldn't be sick. God, if you loved us, you would care for us, then that bill that just came in, we would actually have the money in our bank account to help fix that bill. Or if God, if you cared for us, then you would have loved us and I wouldn't have lost my job. Or you wouldn't have allowed this situation to show up. But it's in the middle of this that Jesus speaks these beautiful words, peace be still. The word peace in the Greek means to be silent. And to be still means to be muzzled. To be silent and to be muzzled. That word muzzled, yeah, we, he spoke it over a demoniac, but it's also something utilized to connect to, to animals to get them to be tamed and to calm down. And so literally, he says, peace, be still, and the wind, peace, wind stops. Be still, everything settles. Have you ever tried to settle down waves before? Have you ever had a child in your home take a bath and decided that the bath needed waves? And you go in and you yell at the kid and say, stop it. How long does it take for the water to settle? It doesn't just settle immediately. Because it's got to, like, all of a sudden everything's doing this. You're cleaning up the, the, the floor. You're getting rid of all the splash and everything. And that stuff is still going. But when Jesus speaks to the wind, he says, peace the wind ceases. And he says, be still. That which was in calamity, that which was supposed to drown, that which was supposed to destroy them, all of a sudden becomes like glass. All at the voice of God. And they went from being mega scared of a storm to be almost mega scared of Jesus. They went from fearing a storm and all of a sudden they are standing back and they're looking at each other saying, who is this one that commands the wind and the waves? This is what we call having a holy awe 
of God. I think so often we are so busy having an awe of what is happening around us that God is calling us to have an holy awe of him. This is the same thing that happened in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus tells the fishermen to go out and to fish at the most inopportune time to fish, which for them was the middle of the day. And they caught so many fish that their, their boat almost goes over. And when they come on in, it is Simon Peter who falls on his face before Jesus and he just says, listen, just run away from me. I am the worst of sinner. Just, just, just depart from me. Go away. What causes him to fall upon his face? What causes the disciples that shall all just have, stand in that mega awe? It is this idea that they are not in the midst of just a good person. They're in the midst of a holy God. If you're on social media at all, there's something that we have called an algorithm. An algorithm, I'll use this word, is a rhythm that a program utilizes to know what you've clicked on, what you're viewing, what you're searching, what you're checking out, so it gets into a program and it spells out an algorithm, things that you're going to see from this point on. So if you watch something on YouTube, all of a sudden when you go on Facebook or Twitter or threads or whatever, you're going to see ads for that thing that you just watched. It is whatever you paid attention to is going to keep coming back. And I want to say something, is that we have to be cautious that we are not being shepherded by the algorithm of culture, but the algorithm of the holiness of God. We have to be careful that we are not chasing the algorithms of what is happening around us because it's easy to look at the storms, to look at the things happening, and to wring our hands. And then I have people, Pastor Dave, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? What's going to take place? How will this affect the church? But I'm here to say that we need to notice these things. But Jesus says, when you see this stuff, lift up your eyes. Because we're supposed to call to have the algorithm of what Jesus is up to and not necessarily what the culture is up to. Do we ignore it? No. But our algorithm has got to be upon our holy God, his timing, his power, and his purposes. And so what we see in Mark chapter 4 is we see ourselves and the disciples. And we're asking, God, do you care? And I love Jesus' response. It's so wild because in my flesh it almost comes off rude because if, it, if I were Jesus, ever think Jesus should be just like you? Respond the way you think he should respond. Like, I'd be like, oh, guys, I know exactly how you feel. Jesus didn't come in with that. Jesus comes in with, why are you afraid? Why do you still have no faith? So what is Jesus implying with his questions? He's implying this, that their premise of life is all wrong. You see, if you start with the premise that the lack of God's care, so we're talking about struggles, we're talking about troubles, that the lack of God's care equates to the lack of God's love, you will come up with the wrong conclusion every single time. If you start off with the premise that just because something goes wrong, that God doesn't care, and if God doesn't care, then probably he doesn't love you or doesn't love you as much, you're going to always come up with the wrong conclusions. And so here we've got a situation for which there's not a problem with the care or the power of the love of Jesus. The issue is their faith. And I'm here to say this. Jesus allows challenges in our lives, and it doesn't mean he doesn't care for us. Jesus allows storms to hit us, and it doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He tells us in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have problems, you will have tribulations. He tells us we're going to have things that are going to happen. Now, does that mean that trusting Jesus is easy? I don't think it is at times. 
Some of y'all are super Christians, and it's easy to trust Jesus and everything. There are things that have happened, things that have gone on in my life that I'm going to say, it wasn't always easy to trust Jesus, but it always comes to the place where I have to ask about my own faith. And so Mark 4 ends really with a question to the disciples, and it's a question to all of us. It's a question about our faith. Because when you think about the disciples in the boat, what was many of their what was many of their traits? What did they do for a living, many of them? They were fishermen. And now listen, I'm, I'm not a boat person. I like boats. I've just, I, I've spent a lot of, I haven't spent a lot of time on the water at all, but I do enjoy boats, but I'm not a boat person. But I'm just going to tell you, if I'm in a boat with specialists and they're panicking, can I tell you what I'm going to do? I'm going to panic. It's like... It's like if I, what I, would, I, I rock climb. If I take you rock climbing and I'm in a panic, I'm just going to tell you, you need to panic. They're literally panicking. Why? Because they couldn't handle the situation. That's why Jesus says, where's your faith? Because here, the faith was in themselves. We can't handle it. Now we turn to Jesus. So my question is, is your faith in yourself? Some of y'all are struggling in your faith because your faith is in yourself. During 2020, one of the things I had to, I had to handle as a pastor is I had to handle people that were mad at each other. Do, do you remember the day where we were so just angry at each other during 2020? Some of y'all forgot all about it because you weren't on Facebook. But I had to spend time talking with people, and know what I kept hearing over and over and over is, Pastor, I've lost faith in the church. And know what my response is? Finally! What do you mean? You were never meant to have faith in the church. You are meant to have faith in Jesus. The disciples, we lost faith in ourselves. Oh, let's, let's throw God into it. But your faith is never meant to be in yourself, never be, meant to be in the church. I love doctors and nurses. I speak blessings over them. But I'm here to say, my faith is never meant to be in a doctor, my employer, the economy, my friendships. Because if we put faith in anything or anyone other than Jesus, you are inviting disappointment in your life. But here's the irony. Now, this is what's all jacked up about this is we will put faith in other things, and when it doesn't work out, we blame God and say, God, where were you? It's the disciples, but it's you and me. We do this. Something goes wrong. God, where were you? And that's why Jesus challenges them, because he's trying to say, if you would have trusted my love for you, you wouldn't have been afraid, even when it seemed like the boat was going to sink. I mean, you had to think about Jesus saying, McFly, McFly, what miracles have you been watching for the past year? Hello. Jesus doesn't beat them over the brow, but he calls them to their faith. See, life has storms, but I'm here to say the one thing that will settle us in every storm that we face is if we, by faith, understand the magnitude of God's love for us. You want something to steady you? It's listening and understanding the magnitude of Jesus' love for you. Storms make you think God doesn't care, which makes you think God doesn't love. But if we will start with the love of God, despite whatever storms come our way, when we've the, steady, the steadying love of God in our life, it gives us the faith to see forward. Now there's a great parallel 
story. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal story. If you've ever read the book of Jonah, it's about a man by the name of Jonah. Man, you guys are brilliant. Phenomenal. Give yourself a Pop-Tart. Phenomenal. And what I love is the parallels between this story and the story of Jonah. So you all know the story of Jonah. Even if you didn't grow up in a church, you know Jonah, he's on, they have a storm, they threw him overboard, big whale swallowed him, and then picked him up on the beach like three days later. That's, there, that's the story. But there's beautiful, beautiful parallels between these two stories. First of all, in both stories, both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat. In both stories, they encountered storms that were about the same. In both stories, Jonah and Jesus are both asleep in the boat. And in both stories, the people sailing the boat had to wake up the person sleeping in the boat. Man, isn't that a good nap that you could sleep through something like that? In both stories, the, sail the sailors, again, had to wake up the person, and then they needed something miraculous to calm the sea. And in both sailors, in both cases, the sailors were terrified after the storms were calmed. Now, the big difference between the two is this, is, that, is when Jonah was in his storm, Jonah was running from God, and he just told the sailors, hey, y'all, it's me. If you throw me in the water, it's all going to be good. And so they threw him in the water, and everything calms. So next time you're on a boat with somebody, if the storm hits, just pick one person, throw them off. It's all good. Don't do that. So they threw him in to sacrifice his life, so to speak, and everything simply calmed. But that's not what happened in the story of Jesus. Jesus didn't need to be thrown in to satisfy anything. Jesus stood up and spoke. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. The one who is greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was used to calm a storm in a moment. Jesus' life and his love for you was there to calm the storm of our sin. And he did it not by being thrown into a, a lake, but to be crucified on a cross. That's his love for you. One who is greater than Jonah. One who gave his life. That came into the middle of the storm of our sin and our brokenness. And his love calls us forward. John chapter 15. Greater love is no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. First John 4, 11, 4 and 10. This is love that we have, have not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. We have got one who loved us and demonstrated that love for us by giving of his life. And if God did not abandon us in the storm of our sin, what makes you think he would abandon you in any other storm? If he didn't abandon you in your sin, abandon you in your lostness, abandon you in your brokenness, if he didn't get if he didn't leave you in the worst of the worst, what makes you think he would leave you in what happens now? And it's that love that needs to penetrate our lives. It's that love that needs to get into every fiber of our being. Because if we know God loves us, then we know that God will care for us. And if we know God cares for us, then we know that when storms come up, we can trust him in any circumstance. If we'll start with the love of God, then we will know that God cares. Well, pastor, does that mean I'll stop going through things? You, you're going to go through crap. That's just life. 
But the, one of the greatest promises of Scripture that we see from Old to New Testament is the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I will be with you always, even to the end. Olivia, if you'd come. The cross is forever the demonstration of God's love. And it's what gives us the confidence to face anything in life. I love what Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 32 says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And it says this, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? The one who did not spare even his own son. The one who gave everything for us. How will, how will he not show up in the other things? That's what it's saying. When you were at your worst, he showed up. When you were in the darkness, de darkest depth of your brokenness and your sin, he showed up. When your life was consumed in addiction, he showed up. When you had nothing to do uh, with your life and all you knew was hopelessness and you needed salvation, he didn't make you work for it. He showed up. And if he will show up for that, then I'm here to say he will show up for now. He will show up for the moments where you feel like life is sinking where you feel like whatever you're in, the, whatever you're in right now, that the, the waves are coming over the edges and they're going to take you down. The bills are going to take you down. The, the disease is going to take you down. Uh, the gossip that people have been saying about you will take you down. And, and the, if we could trust God with our souls, surely we could trust him with our lives. We could trust him. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Boy, we can get on those disciples, and I think it's sometimes fun to do it, but we also have to see ourselves in there because that's all of us at one point. We've been in that place. God, where are you? Have you ever been there? I've shared enough of my testimony. When I was in first grade and my younger brother passed away, I wrestled for 10 years. God, where were you? Boy, most recently when my mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's, God, she has served you faithfully. Where are you? When bills have come up out of nowhere and you're scratching your head wondering, God, where are you? And then we think that if the care is lacking, then the love is lacking. And we've got to get it flipped around and recognize that the one who led us this far will continue to lead us on. And if God has given us a word... He'll take us forward. But sometimes we forget what God spoke. And we get so concerned with the wind and the waves. And then we question his care. We question his love. And we feel like life is crumbling. But if you're here today and you're feeling like you're drowning, I'm here to tell you this. That Jesus loves you and his love has not waned one iota. The scripture says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just because he did power, powerful works back then doesn't, I'm here to tell you, that his power has not diminished over the past decades, the centuries. His power is still potent. And he's still able to come into your moment that maybe you're just wrestling with things right now. And this morning, maybe you're here and you're in a wrestling moment. 
I was going to go in a, a little bit of a different direction, but maybe you're in a wrestling moment. Maybe you're just in a storm. And maybe in summer, summer sermons, we're supposed to have uh, things a little bit lighter for the summer. Uh, I want to preach the gospel today. And the gospel is this, that if you're in a place where you feel like you are drowning right now because of whatever you're dealing with, I'm here to say Jesus is not waiting on the outside of the storm. He's right in the middle there with you. Jesus, don't you care? He cares enough to be right there with you. Where's Jesus in the middle of all this? He's right here with you. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're, I feel like that's the word the Holy Spirit wants me to use. You feel like you're drowning a little bit. Or you're feeling like the, a moment is going to drown you. I don't know what the situation is. It could be your health. It could be a family situation. It could be your finances. It could be diagnosis. I don't know what you are going through today, but I'm here to say that Jesus, Jesus is not here to chastise you today. He's here to challenge your heart. And he wants to show up and speak, peace be still. And if you're here and you need prayer because of whatever situation you find yourself in, you're just saying, Pastor Dave, I just feel like I'm drowning right now. I'm drowning in anxiety. I'm drowning in worry. I'm drowning in hopelessness. I'm drowning in frustration. I'm drowning in addiction. I'm drowning in a broken heart. I don't know what it is that you feel like you're drowning in, but if you're here and you need prayer, I'm going to ask you right here, right now, would you stand to your feet? Right where you're at. Stand to your feet. Just feel like you're drowning right now. Just stand up. There's no shame in this place. Ain't no shame here. Oh. Holy Spirit, God. I feel like I need to wait just another, another few seconds. Just feel like you're drowning. And that word anxiety is just very, very, very deep up behind my heart right now. Some of you, someone here is just drowning in anxiety. And you need a peace, be still. Shut up, be muzzled. <laughs> I love the Greek. Such a beautiful holy moment here. I'm going to ask you to do something uh, a little bold here. Sometimes we have you just get out into the aisles. Would you get out from your seats and just come down along the front? Could you do that right now? And I'm going to ask for my prayer team. Prayer team members, we're going to need y'all. We're going to need y'all. For those that come down, we've got prayer team members going to come behind you. They're going to put their hands on your shoulders. And they're just going to start speaking life over you. Even if all they know to say is peace be still. And what we're going to do for the rest of us in the room here is we're just going to begin to sing over them. Can we do that this morning? For the rest of us in the room, can we just stand together? Do we got a microphone for you? Today I'm going to ask this. If you're not going to sing, would you just pray over these individuals in the house today? Would you just begin to speak life over these individuals? Some of y'all have been here before. Man, listen, when you've been 
buried before, you know how to pray. Some of y'all been in the storm before. Your marriage has been there before. Y'all need to pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray with understanding. And let's just begin to call out in the name of Jesus. Pastor Olivia is going to lead us in a song. So if you want to join her in the song, that's great. You want to sing over them, that's great. But we also, we need singers and we need prayer warriors. And we're believing this morning that in the middle of storms that we are going to see peace be still in Jesus' name. Peace be still. Pastor Olivia, would you lead out in prayer? I lead out in worship. And again, would you just pray? If you see somebody down here praying alone, your board member or staff member, would you get behind them? And let's just surround these people in prayer this morning. Because all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so
Lord, we proclaim that all of our lives you have been faithful. Even when we couldn't see it or detect it, we declare you have been and you are still faithful. Yes. That our circumstances don't wrestle you from the throne. That our situations, Lord Jesus, they, they're, they're not just last on your list of things to do, God. You're with us in the middle of them all. And Lord, what I pray over these individuals that are here today, that have come forward, maybe those that are watching online right now, Lord, my prayer is this, is that in the middle of this moment that they would know that you are with them. That they would just see you right there. That what they thought was a lack of care grew something in their brain that said there's a lack of love. I pray, Lord Jesus, they would experience the full throttle ex flow of the love of God over their lives. They would sense your love around them. And that sense of your love, that feeling, the experience of your love, God, would remind them that you still care and that you will be with them all the way through. And the one that says, let's go over, will carry them over. The one that said, let us go over, will keep carrying them through. That when they have gone weak, you can, you'll be strong. When they've gone tired, God, that God, you'll raise them up. That Lord, when they see the storm coming, God, that they can stand in confidence knowing that one who is with them will, or can even order the wind and the waves at just the simple words, peace be still. So Lord, we speak that over these individuals, believing God that you are performing miracles in them. God, I believe in many times the miracles that we need to see are not the things that are in this stuff around us. Just, they got to happen within us, God. I pray for miracles right now of faith. God, hold minds and hearts this morning that we could just simply say, Jesus, we trust you. Steady our hearts today with your love. Steady our hearts with your care. Ask you, God, that you would do more in our lives than what we can ever ask or imagine according to your power at work within us. We speak that in Jesus' holy name. And everyone said, can we give God a huge hand clap of praise in the house? Kevin, I'm just, I'm just going to wrap up, buddy. As, as these are still praying and some of them are still having some conversations down, down here, we don't ever want to rush anybody out from the altar. Um, I just do want to thank you for being with us and for celebrating with us. If you're brand new with us, I, I hope that you will come back again. I'm just going to tell you I'm biased. I like my church. 
Um, I just want to thank you for, for joining us. And if you're brand new, uh, would you stop by our Connect Center? We've got a gift for you. We want to get to know you, answer whatever questions you might have about the church. Um, and we just want to bless you. Uh, there's, I did something today that preachers never do. You want to know what, what I didn't do today? I didn't take offering. She's like, Jesus is working miracles. The pastor forgot. He did not forget. Um, on your way out, we, give, we, we do our offering in numbers of ways. It's a part of our worship. Um, we give, uh, we would say manually, whether, like, whether it's in a check or it's in a tithing envelope. And we do that with our, in our what do you call it, our drop boxes in the back of the, of the wall of the sanctuary. Sorry, I've got sermon brain. So you can give in the, on, the, on the boxes in the back wall, or you can give online. You can text it. You can utilize our website, utilize our app. But I thank you for just being faithful because every, every dollar you give, we send 10% of that we, we tie toward missions, and the rest of it we utilize to further the kingdom of God here in Kalamazoo and around the world. So we just want to thank you for your generosity. But if you need continued prayer, our prayer team will be available. They'll be around. We do have a prayer room that you can go off to, but I just want to speak blessings over your weekend. I want to say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he turn his face towards you and grant you peace. I pray that today you would have an awesome, awesome Sunday. I uh, pray that you'd get a chance to meet up uh, Pastor Olivia. I'm going to send you out into the hallway just so you don't get attacked right down here. Um, and I will admit this. When I said I wasn't leaving, thank you for clapping. That really made me feel pretty good. <laughs> I would have been a little bit worried earlier. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It was better than... Oh, <laughs> love you all. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. We will see you next week. God bless.